Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast brought to you by Medterra CBD. You can go to medterracbd.com and enter discount code BIGMXRADIO15 to save 15% off every single one of your purchases. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. I'm on all of these podcasts, but making his Big MX Radio debut, his very first podcast interview, and he's very nervous, but he shouldn't be because he's got one of the coolest jobs in the pits, and he's got the poise of a gunfighter when he's spinning the wrenches for none other than number 14 in your program, likely number one in your hearts, Dylan Ferrandez. That's Alex Campbell. Alex, how's it going? It's going good. Yeah, nothing too crazy right now. Absolutely. Your, your guy goes 1-1 one, one on one weekend. The weekend prior, you're marrying your best friend. Uh, I would. It's safe to say that kind of everything's, as, as crazy as, as 2020 has been, things are rolling in, uh, in your direction uh, lately. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, nothing crazy right now because uh, leading up to last weekend with the, with the wedding and all that stuff, I mean, my life was pretty crazy. So now it feels pretty normal again. And uh, to go one one at my home track at Millville was uh, was an awesome way to cap off the uh, the two weeks I was able to spend in Minnesota for sure. Well, no doubt, man. Congratulations on the wedding. That is fantastic, uh, and, and cap, like taking advantage of an off weekend, which I'm sure originally when you were planning this, this would have been the off season. This is the time where you guys are have the downtime. Right now, you're in the the, the throes of a championship, and uh, you probably had to do a little bit of th- like kind of scheduling on your toes as to when this was going to work out. Because uh, as of maybe ten weeks ago, uh, that uh, that off weekend wasn't even really scheduled per se. Yeah, exactly. Like in 2019 was when we started planning the wedding and we picked this date. I thought I would be able to go home after the end of the outdoor season for maybe two weeks and kind of get ready for the wedding and help everybody out that's doing all the stuff for the wedding. But it didn't work out like that at all. I mean, in the middle of the championship, I have a lot of stuff going on uh, with work, mentally, all that stuff, and then trying to switch gears back and forth between planning the wedding and making sure everything's still a go. And then, like you said, like 10 weeks before when the outdoor schedule came out, like just hoping that we were going to have an off weekend that weekend because then I don't know what I would have done. Um, but it all ended up working out um, exactly how it was supposed to. And the off weekend, I didn't miss any racing. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, relieving to have it work out like that for sure. No kidding, and some much-needed time off after a number of weekends back-to-back-to-back, including uh, a quick turnaround at uh, at. Redbud, but we'll get into that in a second. But uh, let, let's spin the clocks back a little bit further um, to where the uh, the flame sort of ignited for you, uh, and as far as being passionate enough about motocross to develop a career in it, want to pursue it enough to work within the industry, which is something you have to have a lot of passion to do, as you as well as I would know that uh, there's a lot of, uh, of thankless jobs out there. It's tough to get in once uh, once you've sort of uh, planted your feet there and uh, and to stay in it as well. Um, where did that passion start for you? Uh, I mean, when I was just a kid, uh, growing up on the farm, me and my uh, brothers and I, we all had dirt bikes and we'd ride around all the time and I just loved it. And then uh, as I got older and older, like... Um, I had to choose if I was going to go to what I was going to do um, after high school. And I uh, chose to pursue the motorcycle thing. And um, my parents wanted us, me and my brothers, to leave the farm for a little bit and kind of see the outside life um, other than just small town Minnesota. So I chose the dirt bike thing and I moved into Florida to go to MMI. And then uh, I ended up meeting um, somebody in the industry and just kind of started hanging out with them and they had a facility in central Florida 
and just started helping out there and doing stuff like that, and then uh, just slowly worked my way up. Worked your way up to uh, now working with Dylan France. You worked with Geico for a number of years uh, prior to, I believe this is your second year with uh, on the, the Blue Crew. Um, how did you end up working your way up? Like, uh, um, like what was that facility in uh, in Florida that you were working with? And, and who is sort of that person that allowed you to have that, like, get you in, into the door, to have those handshakes, to meet with the people, or give you a chance to uh, to spin the wrenches, show what you can do, and and now you're doing it. Uh, earlier this season, a guy had a number one on his bike this year, uh, and going into this weekend, we'll have the red plate. Um, that's pretty cool. That's a, a astronomical ascent to greatness. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the guy that I met was um, Peyton Stevenson, who works for Ken Rossman as a practice mechanic now. Okay. Um, but at the time, he was working with uh, Eric Grondel, and they had uh, just bought in Ryanville Photos Farm in uh, Central Florida when I met them. And um, they were kind of like my way in with the Grondel family and Peyton. Awesome. And then um, just like I started out there just doing like facility maintenance because they didn't need any bike work at the time. But growing up on the farm, like I know how to work on the equipment and all that and run the equipment. And then... Uh, uh, Hayden Melross ended up coming over from Australia and needed practice guy, so I helped him out for a little bit, and then uh, ended up going on the road in 2015 um, with the Grondles just to drive their bus and their rig to uh, okay. um, the outdoor races and just trying to network and meet as many people as I, can, I could, and that's how I ended up meeting the um, Geico crew. I spent a lot of time with them on the road and uh, knew RJ from being in Central Florida, and he rode at that same facility. And when he needed a new mechanic for 2016, uh, he asked me to do it. And that's kind of where it all started for the professional side of things. Um, that's uh, kind of how I got into the professional side of it for sure. Fair enough. Goes from driving truck for Eric Grundle to uh, uh, spinning the wrenches for old Rick. That is so cool. Uh, RJ Hampshire, one of the better, uh, uh, just a, it's a good salty kind of person in the sport. Good to see him doing as well as he is right now. Uh, and I'm sure a friendly face when you're when you're out there uh, working with Dylan. So how did you end up working with Dylan Ferrandis? Uh, like uh, I, I would have assumed that he'd have uh, a fellow countryman come over and work with him. Obviously, there's a tiny bit of a language barrier there, but probably less and less as the weeks go on. Uh, how did you end up working with Dylan? Uh, I had been at Geico for three years, and I uh, was kind of looking for a change. And then um, I had known Will Hahn from when he did a little bit of test riding for Geico in 2017, I think it was, I got along with Will really well and kind of let him know that I was looking and, and he said that they were looking for a mechanic for Dylan. And then that's just how that happened. I think it was maybe uh, three weeks after I talked to him about it, that I ended up starting there. And then, um, yeah, I don't know why Dylan didn't have somebody come over from uh, Europe or anything like that, but I think the team kind of, he trusted the team to find somebody that was capable of doing it, and I was lucky enough to be that person. And, um, yeah, everything's been uh, pretty good so far. Last year, winning um, both of our first Supercross together and then the title um, in Vegas, and then uh, defended it this year. And then now we're uh, working on the Outdoor Series to hopefully win this title uh, in a few weeks. So. Now, you've been at this for quite some time, uh, having uh, – Started all the way back in 2015, uh, working machinery and then going on the road a couple of years and whatnot. But uh, you've, in a way, like y you went kind of like from the from the outhouse to the penthouse quite quickly uh, of driving truck 
to uh, um, eventually like you're, you're knocking down super crosswinds. Like there's a lot of guys who have, that are, are working in the pits right now who have not seen their rider uh, at any level pull a, a checkered flag. That has got to be really cool. And uh, what was it like um, pit boarding for uh, uh, a former superstar in the MXGPs, and then eventually seeing him uh, capture his first supercross, and that, that's got to be a crazy cool feeling. Oh yeah, it definitely is. It's an indescribable feeling to do those types of things. And I would say, like, I definitely had the fast track to going uh, to the professional side of things. But my whole mentality was it with if somebody needs something done, I'm I can do it. I I'll do anything I can to help them out and try and learn as much as I can to just slowly move up. And that's kind of how I I got so fortunate um, to end up where I am. So um, a lot of hard work. There's guys. Everybody on the line has worked hard, and then. Uh, yeah, just got just was in the right place at the right time, I think, in order to uh, get this position. And then, yeah, working with uh, Dylan. I mean, I never really saw him as a superstar. I mean, obviously, he's a great rider, and coming from the MXGP series and stuff like that. Um, but still, it's just a person. So you just take it um, every day as they come and try and figure each other out with the language barrier stuff. And even the pit boarding is very simple, um, just because there is a little bit of a language barrier and. It uh, has been working really well, and, uh, yeah, I mean, both of us get along really well and uh, um, seem to do all right together, obviously, so it's, uh, it's exciting. Like So that, that's really encouraging to hear. How, how was he to get to know, like you said, there is a bit of a language barrier there. How severe is that, and, and like, what, like how, how long was it before you started really getting to know Dylan and uh, not only what he likes uh, on the bike, but sort of just – being around him on race day, like what is what what does he need to be successful on race day? Uh, I mean, at first it definitely was strange because you don't know um, like what he might know in English or something like that. Like you don't want to like just confuse him or anything like that. So I think it took a while um, to kind of figure each other out. Uh, but like we were kind of forced to because uh, he, I started when he uh, was on Team France for motocross of nations in 2018 i didn't work for him at it but um then he ended up we ended up flying to france and together and i met him in the airport in london on a connection and That's uh cool. so we're, we're we're overseas like he's the only person i know and then we go to southern france and he's the only person that can order food for me pretty much because i can't You're speak language where we were in france i like this yeah because when we we're in southern france i mean not a lot of people there spoke english so he kind of had to help me out um uh, just to get through the first week of being over there and stuff like that. And uh, so we kind of forced us to get to know each other for sure. But um, I think that was probably a good thing um, just because here in the States, like we go to work or go to the track together, whatever, and then we can just split off and go our own ways. So where there we were forced to uh, to learn each other and kind of figure each other out. So. There you go, Back, baptism by fire. And a, uh, a good old boy from uh, from – Minnesota down in the southern France uh, that just to, to me like uh, as far as displacing somebody that's about as extreme as it gets uh good to see that you're able to sort of think on your feet uh and and do that but uh um do you feel like working with a guy like Dylan and uh working for a team like uh Star like how how has that affected your uh ability to work on the machine uh the professionalism you take to it obviously you always take pride in your work but uh like the 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 level like just like the bikes, the mechanics are that much more in tune with uh, with what's going on at the at the factory level. Would you not agree? 
Yeah, I definitely agree. Like, you have to kind of be on your game. And it's not just on Saturdays you need to be on your game. Like, I mean, we go to the practice track how many ever times in an off season or even during the season a couple times a week. Because uh, we both, we, the mechanics that start, we do practice and race. So you have to be really in tune okay. with what's going on with both your rider and um, uh, the bike to make sure everything's good all the time. And then, uh, yeah, working at STARS uh, have been really good. And, I mean, everybody's pretty professional. And, I mean, we all know what we have to do. Like, uh, there's a job to be done every weekend. And, and that's what we go. Every weekend, we go to the race to win. And uh, that's one thing that Dylan is. Like, he really, unless he goes 1-1 on a weekend, he's not very happy. So he can be difficult to deal with on stuff like that. Um, but I also admire that because I don't need to motivate him. I don't need to fire him up or something like that to be fighting for the win because that is what he wants. Like, anything less than a win, he's not going to be happy. And it makes it hard, him harder to deal with, but it also is a good thing because you don't have to be on your guy all the time to trying to get him to fight for it. He's going to fight for it to the very last second every weekend. Oh, absolutely. And he's shown that, especially with the uh, the starts that he's been getting. I think I, to this day, his average start position is still outside the top 10, which is uh, not something you want to uh, uh, have in, in, in a championship season, but he's been battling through it. Um, like, uh, what do you see out of Dylan when he gets one of those starts where he's clearly in the back of the pack or he runs into Shane or something along those lines? And it's, is he even looking at the, the pit board and then the determination that he has just move forward in the one moto? I believe he got all the way back up to third after being on the ground in the first lap. Like, that's, that's just an all-star ride right there. Yeah, I mean, when I see him get a bad start like that, like, obviously, you'd never want your guy in that position because it only makes it harder on them, and there's more danger coming through the pack than there would be if he was out front, you know? But, um, like I said, I don't have to motivate him. Like, if he's in the back of the pack, I just try and keep him calm because I know he wants to be leading it. So I just kind of tell him, like, how far he is up the lead or something like that, just show him that he's making up time on the leaders, or if he isn't. And then, uh, yeah, like, uh, the ride that he had in, Iron Man. He was down in the first turn, and then uh, he came back to third uh, on the last lap. He passed for third, I think. So uh, I mean, that shows how much heart he has in it. And I mean, even if he gets a bad start, he can still end up in the front like that. But I mean, I would much rather have him come out first or on the first turn. But anything in the top ten, I'm pretty satisfied with. I think last weekend his starts were fifth in uh, Moto One and sixth in Moto Two, and I was pretty satisfied with that. Like. Uh, crazy to think but um when he starts like that i'm like oh, as long as he keeps his head on straight he should do fine so and he has been so um, well that works out it, it certainly does it also works out when uh you've got the probably the uh the fiercest fire breathing dragon under the tent uh, or in the pits in general in the uh the yzf 250 um they're basically i i think they're the uh, the class of the field as far as uh, a platform to build off of as well as uh, in race trim uh, I see your uh, the the Yamahas jumping the leap no problem I see them uh, jump, jumping that uphill triple at Millville uh, like everyone else is stretching the thing out while Dylan is uh, is scrubbing up the face of the damn thing um, talk a little bit about that a little bit working with uh, in by all accounts, a superior machine uh, against uh, a lot of other really good factories. But uh, it, as it stands right now, looks like Yamaha has the edge, especially when it comes to the horsepower division. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I think the Yamaha definitely has an edge. But, I mean, like, even every other bike, any other factory bike on the uh, gate is still good. Like, 
those jumps that those guys are struggling with are huge. Like it's not like they're bad bikes by any means. No, but I think right now never Yamaha, touching those jumps. No, never, not a chance. <laughs> um, but I think Yamaha does have an edge right now with the air filter being up front like that, and uh, um, I think that's good. Like it's something different, and that kind of is what set them apart. They tried to do something uh, completely different, and it's worked out well for them. And then. Um, Brad and Jeremy at Star and doing the engine development stuff has uh, really succeeded at that and kind of showed what they're capable of doing. And it's paid off big. Like when you line up next to those guys, you'd think that, oh, yeah, we should be uh, in a pretty good spot with our bike because it is fast. And then when the tracks are deep and muddy and stuff like that, like that extra power really helps those guys get around there quick. And I think you really see that um, in the qualifying results because that's when the track is deep and muddy and everybody's just kind of got to put down one lap. And I think, I think it was red, but, uh, we qualified uh, one, two, three, four. Yeah. And, um, a lot of that, I mean, kind of comes down to the bike being dialed in right away in the morning. Like there's not a lot of time to change anything. You're not going to be doing any suspend big suspension changes, um, between practices. So I think our bike is, uh, uh, a well-oiled machine, both engine package, suspension package with Drew um, doing our KYB stuff in-house. And, uh, yeah, I think everything uh, works together really well right now. There you go, man. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, what about uh, bike setup on Dylan? Like, what are some of the things that you're having to, the, the hoops you have to jump through to get things just right for him to uh, to be happy on the motorcycle? What is he picky about? And uh, um, and, and what is he not picky about? Like, is, there's got to be something on, on bikes that guys, like, they, they, they're, they're, it's really important to get this right, but it's not so perfect, it's not so important that this is a certain way. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if they're, they stress about certain things. Yeah, um, Dylan is a pretty uh, picky guy, I would say. I mean, which he has all the right to be. I mean, he's out there putting his, like, every time these guys ride their bike, like, you never know what could happen. He's the one putting his life out there every day. But um, he's really picky about controls and uh, comfort, like, in the cockpit. And then um, he does a little bit of strange stuff with uh, his front brake lever is very close to his his um, fingers and throttle hand. Weird. So, if if his brake fades at all, it's against his fingers pretty much. So things like that, the brake's got to be good, both front and rear. And then um, because if there's any, any if it's not perfect, if there's any fade at all, it's not going to work at all for him because it'll be against his fingers because it already starts out so close. And he just does um, a little bit of strange stuff with the throttle grip. He glues an extra like uh, grip end on the inside of it between the throttle uh, housing and the grip run just because it helps with his blister and it won't fold over in there and then he runs a seat bump but um only thing he's not really picky about is he could care less what the bike looks like he uh he doesn't stress about that at all like some guys really like the bike to look good all the time or the practice bike to look good all the time and he is uh he could care less he's like the practice bike he's like oh it's for training like you have to put a sticker on it you know yeah um but uh, as long as the function of the bike is good, it feels good, um, he's happy. And he can tell the difference between a bike with high hours or um, his race bike or this set of handlebars, this seat. Like He's, uh, he's very in tune with how uh, both of his bikes feel all the time. And that is kind of a, can be a struggle at times because you're on the practice bike all off-season. Then you build a new bike and you got to break it in and all that stuff just to get him comfortable on it before you go racing. And then mid-season, same thing, like 
the practice seat or your practice bike might have quite a few hours on it. Your race bike's pretty low hours, and he can just tell that little bit of difference. Um, so you just kind of talk him through it. And like once he's once he's pretty comfortable, he's uh, not going to complain about it. Like he gets it. Um, but yeah, just some of those days where he's just not feeling right or something like that, it tends to be um, the day that he just got back on his practice bike and it doesn't feel as good as his race bike or something like that. Fair enough. Uh, Any time over the years where, like, the two of you worked closer, uh, like, a lot, but he's a, he's a passionate guy, wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, anytime the two of you have kind of gotten into it a little bit, a little bit of a disagreement, a little bit of, uh, like, a little frustration underneath the tent. Uh, yeah, um, one time this season, and uh, uh, was Loretta's two. It was the mud race. He was not okay. happy with the tire. So he knew he knew what tire he had on there. I showed him before the moto, and I had a tire um, and, or a wheel just behind the starting line, like I could change it back. And I um, had a tire on there, and that's the tire the team thought we would need on there, and that's what we thought would be best. And um, uh, he didn't like the choice. At the end of the moto, he was not satisfied with the uh, our choice and then which is we had the other one it was kind of a disagreement but um i mean like you said he wears his heart on his sleeve like he wants to win and he thinks that if i would have had a, the other spec tire on there it would have been different or would help him get another position i think that's what he was probably worried about but i mean once the race is over and everybody cools down it's like just just back to normal i mean dylan off the bike is a pretty uh, joking around guy so not long after the race i mean we were back to joking around and um and having a good time. So uh, just one of those things, like, these guys put a lot of uh, heart out there. They work really hard all year round. It's not just Saturday. So if uh, something isn't going right, they have the reason not to be happy with it, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I've uh, seen firsthand that Dylan likes to joke around. I remember walking into the uh, Star Racing rig after the Toronto Supercross in 2018, and uh, Dylan has his hoodie, like, up over his head with the strings pulled all the way tight because the kid's uh, frozen because uh, it's January or oh, February yeah. and it's uh, you're in uh, uh, in Toronto and uh, yeah no he, he he thought it was the funniest look going but uh, um, yeah man it's uh, it, it's crazy to see you working with him here as long as you have and the success that you guys have had and the connection seems obviously like a a good married couple you can kind of get a, get into a little bit of a tiff and things are fine afterwards uh cooler heads prevail um but dylan works with david villain dv he is an interesting cat in its own right you don't have to get too far into it and i know i have to let you go right away because you guys are going to go going for dinner right away but what's just one thing on dv like what is the weirdest thing you've seen, heard come out of his mouth the weirdest thing that came out of DV's mouth, I don't know, it's every day there's something strange that comes out of his mouth that you're okay. just like, what is this guy thinking? But, uh, no, I think, um, <laughs> I mean, Dylan, the crazy thing about DV is Dylan uh, can win a Supercross race and in the lights class. Obviously, he won Supercross Lights Championship two years in a row, and DV will tell him that he's a terrible rider. Like, DV is hard on Dylan because um, he wants him to be really, really good. And that's yeah. why I think Dylan likes him is because he pushes him to be the best. But like he'll be at the practice track in Supercross, and Dylan will be struggling with an on-off that day, which he's not really struggling with it. But DV will think he is or something, and DV will be like, "This guy can win a race, but can't even hit a tabletop." Like stuff like that. Like uh, DV is um, very—he uh, expects the best, and um, he uh, can be hard on Dylan 
on stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of crazy when Fields can win races or set a fastest lap time and DV will come back and tell him he sucks or he rode like Yeah, he rode like shit or whatever. Race. So, yeah, it'd be like he won the race, but, oh, yeah, he rode like crap. He rode terrible in life. You don't have to be the best rider. You just got to be better than the other kids out there. That's really all it comes down to. Yeah. Um, no, no. He know, was, but, was um, racing Ricky Carmichael that last moto. I'm not too I'm, – I'm fairly certain. Yeah, exactly. But And that's what – DV and Dylan work well together because they have a shade with the French connection. Um, but and that's that's another good thing is DV, even Dylan could set the fastest up. I mean, DV is still going to tell him a few things, what he needs to work on and improve on, and that's where he okay. finds – even more time during a moto, so I think that helps out with Dylan's program a lot. Fair enough. Well, uh, um, it's been awesome to have you on the show, man. I have like probably 50, 60 other questions I could ask you, but that just means we're going to have to have you on for a second podcast a little ways down the road, possibly after you guys are uh, uh, popping uh, some champagne down the way, whether that's after a 450 Supercross win or uh, uh, an outdoor title or anything along those lines. I know you guys have a lot of things to look forward to, uh, and I really appreciate you making some time for us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. And, uh, yeah, hopefully after this outdoor season, we're uh, celebrating a title. But, I mean, it's racing. Anything can happen, and um, that's part of it. But, yeah, thank you for having me on, and I uh, look forward to maybe coming on again. Absolutely, Alex. Really appreciate you making the time today, my friend. Do not hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there. <laughs>